hello and welcome into Coach's Corner, aka the Lucas and Layla show. Um, she's going to be chewing very loudly on the loudest bone that I have for her because of course she is. So if you do hear any of that, that is just that in the information. Um, and you know, it was it was hard windling down this show to figuring out what I'm going to talk about because it is packed full of sports. Um, this is going to be the last show of the week. Like I said, I'm kind of doing a Monday-Wednesday deal. That's the housekeeping. So I'm here for Wednesday. Uh, so the last show of the week here before I send you off on the beautiful weekend, Masters weekend, UFC 287 weekend, um, MLB weekend, and of course the end of the NBA season. So a lot, a lot of sports coming up to talk about, to really dive into. First off, I do want to give props to the team that ended up winning on Monday night during the stream, like right before I ended it. The UConn Huskies absolutely dominated the San Diego Aztecs. It's one of those, like, the game started and UConn was suddenly up 10 points. And it was like, how do we do, how do we get here? And it kind of, kind of what I said came true, where basically... You know, if UConn got out to a quick start, they would win this game. I didn't think it would be as comfortable as they did have it. Like, San Diego State was just prideful about their defense, really, all tournament long. Really kind of dug in on that end of the floor. But when they weren't able to stop UConn consistently, as well as not having a good offensive showing, that kind of um, combined for a bad showing, like... You can see their stars here, Bradley, Tramiel, Butler. All three of them kind of struggled from the field, weren't able to get anything going. And so on the other side, you have Sonogo just going absolutely crazy with 17-10. You know, that it's just kind of what he did all tournament long. It's what UConn did all tournament long. It was just kind of, I think, an encapsulation of UConn's performance during this tournament. And, I mean... People kind of try and downgrade tournaments where you don't have a team like Kansas won last year or Villanova a couple of years ago. They kind of try and downgrade it when teams like that don't win it all and say, oh, I'm tired of all the upsets. The best team didn't win. I hate to break it to you. I think UConn was the best team. <laughs> they showed it game after game, winning by double digits in every single game. I'm not sure there is a team that would have gone against them that would have put up a fight. You know, maybe a couple like I can't even name them because, you know, Texas, Miami, maybe those are two other teams that come to mind. It's just UConn dominated practically every single game. They were just in control. It was smooth sailing for the Huskies and Dan Hurley got himself a champion and now this is where we get the talk where it's like, is UConn a blue blood now? Do, you know, do they slide into that range? And, I mean, five-time national champions. They've won it the past 20 years three times with three different coaches. That seems like a recipe for a blue blood. At least a new age one, you know, along with, like, the Villanova, you know, is obviously a new blue blood kind of deal. And I think those two teams are kind of the one, like the two that stand out in my mind at least when I think of new blue blood teams because, you know, everyone sticks to them like how they normally do. And it's 
hard to dethrone those guys because they are entrenched in history, especially like Indiana and UCLA are the ones that are, haven't won in quite a while. But, you know, UCLA had a really good season. Unfortunately, they got beat by Gonzaga. And Indiana had a good year too, but they also weren't able to make it to the Final Four. So these were just kind of the fun discussions that happened afterwards. But I felt it was right to start off the show with something like this. Um, just because it was very unique to see a team go into March Madness, win the first game by a billion, second game, third game, fourth game, and fifth game. So congrats to UConn men's. Great season for them. I, I'm very curious to see how they come back next year because I, I think some of their guys are going to return. And this is kind of where the NIL stuff comes into play where guys will probably make more if they return to UConn than they would going in the second round of the NBA draft. So that's like your little NIL talk, but also UConn talk. So shout out the Huskies. Either way, I wanted to move on now to the NBA MVP discussion. I know it's a burning topic in the streets. Everyone wants to talk about it. It just burns everyone's core because they get so passionate about it. And I'd say it, I... I'm just not, I don't care about this MVP anymore. I think that it feels like it's going to go to Joel Embiid. That's like the early feeling because he did have a 50-point performance last night against the Celtics. I, it's, hard, it's hard to argue. I, I, I don't want to downgrade Embiid, but I will acknowledge that I am an Embiid hater just because he plays for the Sixers, Philadelphia. I don't like the Sixers or Philadelphia, and they played my Hawks, and he's in uber frustrating player to watch and to deal with so that's part of my reasoning why I don't love him now that being said I can probably concede that if he wins MVP this year I won't have a big gripe personally I think Jokic or Giannis should win it because this is kind of like a bad reasoning because I don't know if this this isn't how the MVP should be looked on like most years but for this year Nikolai Jokic and Giannis have both been on the best teams in their respective conferences. Now, where Jokic has faltered recently, Giannis really hasn't. Giannis kind of just does his thing. He, matter of fact, Joel and Giannis played against each other the other night. Giannis won the game by comfortable margin, had better stats, everything against Embiid. And it's just... You know, we look at the stats here. I mean, they've played about the same amount of games, and that's kind of been the knock on Joel is he hasn't been healthy. But this year he has played a majority of those games, so you have to give him that. I mean, really uncanny how they are both attempting 20 field goals and half 11 field goals made. Uh, you have Joel getting the edge in three-point shooting. In rebounds, you have Giannis getting the advantage as well as assist. And so points, Embiid has it by two points. Those are just kind of minor things, but I think things nonetheless you can look at and those kind of just tell a story. And now, for just argument's sake, Nikola Jokic, 68 games played, 24 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 63% shooting, 38 from 3. <laughs> it's pretty good. These are all great players. Let's not get that twisted. These are all MVP caliber players. I don't think it's... You know, it's hard to argue against these guys as the three best players in basketball as of today. But as I said, I think this award can go either way. 
But I have Giannis Antetokounmpo as my MVP. Just because I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, obviously. Team success. I feel like you, it's hard to be on a losing team and win the MVP. I mean, Russell Westbrook, I think, is the most recent one I can comes to mind. He was like a fifth seed or fourth seed on that Thunder team where he got a triple-double. Very deserving because it was the first triple-double averaged in like 50 years. But that's still like an outlier for normally the MVP goes to top player on a top team. And Jokic is also, I guess, an outlier as well. But he was a center averaging a near triple-double. And he's doing that this year as well. And he's on the best team in the league. So it's very just funny to me that he is a back-to-back MVP winner. You could argue those however you want. Those happened. And I think this third year, which would give him a three-peat for MVP, this year is arguably better than those MVP years. Because he's doing the same things, but he's also winning. So it's like hard for me to accept that Jokic won't win the MVP this year because he is having... Like I said, a better year in my eyes than he has in the past. His actual MVP years. And it's just a little odd for me. And that's what hurts me about Jokic. But I do think that he is probably out of it because his team is... His team's frankly, I'd say, fallen out. They, like, they're still the first seed and they're probably going to clinch that here soon. But hasn't been a consistent showing. But, I mean, you could also make that argument against Embiid. Embiid's team has not been fantastic the past couple of weeks. They've, like, obviously get a big win against the Celtics last night, get a big win a couple weeks ago against these Bucks. But they don't compete consistently where they lost to the Bucks a couple of nights ago by 20. So that's just whatever. But then we get to more of, like, Giannis's defensive impact. I think he might be better... You know, despite being lower in these categories, steals and blocks, I mean, you have Brooke Lopez in the back, and Giannis can kind of free roam and do whatever he wants. And that, I feel like, makes him a more dangerous defender and a better defender. Because Joel has to kind of anchor down and be the Philadelphia, you know, back end, the defender, and just kind of stay in the paint. Where Giannis, he has that freedom to go anywhere else on the court and kind of, I mean, play defender and I mean he a couple of years ago I think he did had a bad showing against Kevin Durant in that series Kevin Durant really kind of put Giannis in the torture chamber but I think from there Giannis has grown I think last year he had a chance to win the you know defensive player of the year and it's just you know I, I when I see Giannis I see a lot of like probably what people saw when they watched Shaq back in the day like he doesn't have a ton of technical moves or like Hakeem had the dream shake. He doesn't have any, like, he has those, but they're not definitely refined. He's dominating opponents just based off of how big, strong, fast, and freakish he is, given he has the nickname the Greek Freak. So, I mean, I think you could give Giannis the MVP every, you know, at least the past couple years, but that hasn't happened. And so I think this year is another deserving year for Giannis to win MVP. But unfortunately, I think Joel, you know, kind of in his way was like, I don't care about the MVP, but he's the only one talking about not caring about the MVP. That kind of helps him where the media is like, well, we should probably give the MVP to Joel because 
you know, he wants it. So it's stuff like that that kind of bugs me and irritates me a little bit. But it's one of those I understand. It's kind of just the politics of the media choosing an MVP. And it's kind of why LeBron didn't win a bunch more MVPs than he probably should have. But that's neither here nor there. You can't change the past. But just in my eyes, if I had a vote, I would probably go Giannis just because his team has staved off the, you know, Joel and the Celtics. They, he's his team has done that, and they're better with him in the. I mean, in the lineup, you know, he has missed a couple games, but they are better with him in the lineup still. And he's just takes over a game, and so Giannis is my pick for MVP. But that's neither here nor there. I, that's just MVP is just such a hard thing to discuss because it's so narrative driven. And it doesn't ever go to the best player, I don't think. Like, a couple years, I think it does. But, like, years like this year just doesn't feel right. Like, the first Jokic MVP could probably make the same argument for Giannis. So, it's just, it's hard. It's a very hard award to kind of figure out. So, we'll, we'll get back to NBA here in a minute. But real quick, I want to talk Masters. Hello, friends. That's right. The Masters is back starting tomorrow. Um, we finally are going to be back in Augusta for probably the best golfing event of the year. Uh, you know, it's kind of worrisome because the weather, don't know if it's going to hold up or not. Kind of got to wait and see on that. But if it does happen, we'll be in for a treat. I, you know, a lot of those live guys are able to compete in the Masters, so it that shouldn't be an issue. And frankly, I think we have a good field for it. I mean, odds to win here. Obviously, Scotty's the favorite coming back. He won it last year. Hard to remember that because it felt like so long ago, but it happened. And, you know, his menu came out. And personally, I loved his entire Masters dinner menu because it just, it wasn't overly fancy. It wasn't that, you know, type of stuff where it's like, I probably wouldn't eat any of this. No, it was it was like a good mixture of like stuff that you get like probably at Chili's while also being, I think, fancied up by the Masters just because they have to because it is the Masters. But it made me laugh. I enjoyed it um, seeing the menu. He had a cookie. He just had basically like a cookie, a warm cookie with ice cream for the dessert. <laughs> I totally respect that. I love cookies. So either way. That was cool to see. Um, Rory here is plus 700 is tied with him for the best odds. And, you know, Rory has had a good stretch here. Uh, Masters is kind of one of the things that saluted him. So maybe him. John Rahm, obviously, he's been in the mix for a lot of tournaments here recently. And you have Speeth at plus 1600, Cantalay at plus 1800, Justin Thomas at plus 2000. A lot, a lot of interesting players in play here, obviously. Um, my favorite is value might be Colin Morikawa, plus 2,500. I think he competed in it last year. Like, like I mean, competed as in he came down in the last couple days, and I, I just I like him. He's a good good golfer. I think he is kind of due, you know. We haven't heard about him in a while. I, I think he'll at least have a top-five finish. That's my guess I think Victor Hovland will probably compete to the last day and then just collapse Will Zalatoris is a popular name Hideki Matsuyama 
Um, he won it a couple years ago, so maybe some value there. You know, Tiger Woods at plus six, um, six thousand. So, you know, a lot of a lot of names, a lot of fun guys. I think I think golf's in a good spot with its personalities and everything. You know, it's it's in a good place where I think pe casual fan I think can sit down and enjoy the Masters. Like if they want to try, just get into golf because I mean that's kind of how you do. You just either you play golf and you love it, and you consume it every day, or you just kind of like. Yeah, this is relaxing. I'll just sit on my couch and sleep during it. So, the best the best event to sleep during, although it's like kind of the most important event for their season. So, and their sport, but that's neither here nor there. I think it is very fun, and I cannot wait to take a good old fashioned nap on Sunday afternoon. Happy Easter, by the way. So, that would be very cool to see. Then, as I mentioned, we have. The return of the MMA Minute. I don't know if long-time listeners do know what the MMA Minute is. It's always a segment that kind of comes towards the end-ish of the main news topics. We have the MMA Minute here with the UFC 287. We have Alex Perea. We have Israel Adesanya. Perea is the current champion in the middleweight division. Adesanya was the longtime champion of the division before Perea snatched the title away from Israel. And so it's a very, very interesting fight because of their history. Adesanya has not beaten Perea yet. All right. if, if so, I think it was like their first meeting and it's like Perea's won the last two by knockout, by TKO. So it's kind of like Adesanya is in a tough spot here because, you know, everyone, although he is the favorite, it feels like everyone really likes Pereira because he has that knockout power. He's a flashy fighter. Um, he's not so much a wrestler or anything crazy like that. He kind of just stands. He has heavy hands. Can really kind of get into Izzy's space while also you know, maintaining that distance and fighting from a distance. So, Because that's kind of Izzy's thing. Israel Adesanya is kind of a, a prancer, I'd say, when he's fighting. He likes to, you know, use his length to his advantage. He has a lot of, you know, reaching. He does a lot of fakes to try and draw his opponent in. And then he just kind of does a one-two, that type of deal. But I'll be honest, Adesanya hasn't had, I'd say, a, a, an impressive string of fights. You know, leading up to that last Perea fight where he lost, he wasn't impressive with his knockouts or anything. I think he just won by decision most of the time because he did what I'm talking about, just spacing, controlling that space, and kind of just keeping people at bay while also landing a couple of shots. Though, in you know, 50-50 rounds, will go to the champion, and Adesanya was the champion, so he got the rounds. And so I think that was an interesting last half of his run there. After the Rob Whitaker, I think knockout was... Maybe his last knockout that, that I can remember. Maybe I'm wrong in there, but it's been a while since he's really been the aggressor. And I, I think that kind of got him last time where he kind of, he did the thing where he spaced and paced and, you know, did enough to where he probably would have won on decision against Perea. But obviously Alex knew that he had to, you know, turn it up that last round and he did. And he knocked out Adesanya or at least, made it the referee call it so like I said it's a tough tough fight to call I think because 
he wants to get him back, but I feel like I have to go parade here because I do think that he's just he might just be the Izzy stopper. I think he might just be the guy that just can handle Adesanya where no one else really can figure him out. I th- I, he might just be the guy with the heavy hands and the right distance and the reach, you know, that can disrupt Adesanya enough while also having more power than him to beat him. And so I think it'll be close. I think I'm going Perea by knockout in the fifth round. I think it's going to be another long fight. I think it's going to be kind of, I think it will be very similar to what they did last time, except Perea will once again probably wear down Izzy and knock out a killer, like he'll finish with a killer blow there in the fifth round. And, you know, not a great card, I'll be honest, but you have a big name underneath this in the co-main with Jorge Masvidal versus Gilbert Burns. A, a pretty pivotal match here in, um, I believe, yeah, welterweight division here because Gilbert Burns is a top contender. Obviously, Leon Edwards just fought recently, so he wants to be in the mix there for a title shot. Jorge Masvidal wants to be in the mix for a title shot once again. And, you know, this is he's 38 years old there, so he's getting up there in age, and I think he said if he loses, it probably is it for him. Because he runs different businesses outside of UFC. He probably could get away with that. And so he doesn't need this. But, you know, this is hard for me. Because I think Corey Masvidal is one of the more entertaining fighters. One of the better marketers of the sport. But I think, frankly, Gilbert Burns is just a different breed. I think he he has a unique set of skills with his power. Cause, and his chin is great. He showed that against Kamzat where he could have definitely been knocked out there, but he didn't. He fought all the way through in a great fight. And I think he also has better wrestling than Jorge Masvidal here. So I think I do like Gilbert Burns to win this fight. And yeah, I think these are just the two big fights that are going on this weekend. Obviously, very interesting to keep track of. And definitely, definitely should at least find a... An outlet that maybe is showing the fight for um, an amount that might be close to zero. So I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not telling you to commit a crime, but not telling you not to. Either way, look out for the UFC 287 this weekend. And with that, I want to close this out. I think a good show here. I want to close this out with a tier. Um, obviously I've been gone since Thanksgiving was the last like true show I had outside of Monday, but I really didn't talk NBA all year long because like I said, I was gone. So I haven't been able to make a tier or power rankings or anything like that. And you know, I I pre-did the baseball ones, thought back on it, if I just did it live. And so that's what we got here. We got NBA tiers live in the flesh on youtube.com slash coaches corner for all the podcast listeners if you want to know but either way thought we would do it this in person you know kind of figure it out tiers are simple s is the best a b c d and wimby and wimby means victor wimbanyama yes the monster from france he's seven three shoots the ball like kevin durant plays defense like rudy gobert an unreal presence and yeah he's just the guy so 
very interesting player that definitely will be a once-in-a-lifetime prospect. But we'll get to that kind of stuff later. So starting off, I want to try and fill this Wimby, kind of get some of these bad teams out of here that we can kind of, you know, not think about them ever. Um, so real quick off the bat, Detroit. Losing Cade Cunningham early in the year kind of sunk their season. And they kind of, I don't want to say they stopped trying, but they fielded a team of very young players that just never really had a chance from the start. They just struggled and... Yeah, like I said, never caught on. Jaden Ivey, I think, had a good year. Um, James Wiseman's kind of like figuring out the game, you know, <clears throat> getting traded from Golden State. Change of scenery is good for him, but they are a bottom tier team for sure. Uh, another bottom tier team, San Antonio. I don't think I've seen a team try as hard to tank a season as San Antonio has. I mean, that's a lie. I definitely have seen teams, but. Either way, San Antonio came into the season with a, you know, passion to try and tank the season away to get their next Tim Duncan. You know, I mean, Victor Wembanyama, like I said, once in a lifetime prospect. I can't blame them and Greg Popovich. So, next we have the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets, uh, they lost kind of similar deal to Kate Cunningham in Detroit. They lost um, Lamelo Ball, kind of. He just, LaMelo never really was healthy. He's missed the beginning of the year. He's missed basically the whole second half of the year. And, you know, he just couldn't ever get it going. And, you know, Charlotte picked it up recently. Their defense kind of got better. You know, it's kind of been a trademark of theirs. I think Steve Clifford's doing a fine job. Mark Williams, I think they have something in that guy. Gordon Hayward's almost off the books. Terry Rozier, I think, is closer to free agency, you know. Money is about to free up. Michael Jordan, I think, is selling the team. So there are things on the horizon for Charlotte. But this year, not so much. Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets are a team that just could never really get it going to be even a promising young team. Just based off the fact that, I mean, I'm not sure if they have a good amount of like players that fit next to each other. Especially in the backcourt with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter. Um, Steven Silas, I think he's out of there as the coach. You know, just a brutal year for him. It's kind of just bad. The Rockets are just very, 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 very bad. Um, next we have, let's do, I'm trying to think of the next tanking team. We'll do Portland down here as well because Portland, you know, outside of when they had uh, Damian Lillard dropping an inordinate amount of points, so many points. They really just are fielding a team that would maybe compete in the G League. I just, it's a bad team. Really, really disappointing for them. Don't know when Dame is going to leave finally, but this year, not so yet. So he dropped 60 points in a game or 70 points. Dropped a lot of points in a game. He's a really fun player, but talent that surrounds him so god awful so now we're going to try and figure out some of the other teams we'll knock out the S tier now real quick we go from worst to first Milwaukee is my first clear S team like I said I think they've been the best team all year started off slow with some injury stuff Chris Milton was out for them um, and like I said Giannis has been in and out of the lineup and you know, they've kind of had to figure it out, and they have, and they've held off the Celtics. So 
I think all of those things makes them in S tier just as an impressive team. Their depth is crazy with Jake Crowder off the bench, Goran Dragic, Joe Ingles. Like, they are a dangerous team in the East for sure. They are going to be the best team in the East. It's just crazy. Next, I have the Celtics. I mean, hard to argue about the Celtics' successes. Um, they've done it very much so with a very patchwork amount of players, night in, night out. Because it's like they're, they know that there's a goal in the end. They know that the finals and the playoffs is where you win games. Do not take the regular season serious. You guys don't have to play all 82. Most of them just have to play about 55 to 65. And they've kind of kept true to that, not playing guys on back-to-back like Marcus Smart and Tatum aren't playing tonight despite playing last night against Philly. So Jalen Brown is, wasn't playing last night, but he's probably playing tonight. So stuff like that, I think it's it's smart. It sucks for the fan that goes to watch those guys when they're not all playing. But it's one of those, like, in the greater good for the end goal being the finals hit smart so that's that then I have I have to put the Sixers here in S tier as well just because I mean I think James Harden has really kind of unlocked a different aspect of his game that he didn't have you know before kind of just his athleticism left you know it's like James Harden realized that he wasn't the same James Harden in Houston and he kind of had to adjust very much to being more, way more of a facilitator than a scorer, you know. And I think he's done that admirably this year. And along with Joel not missing a chunk of games, I think that's helped as well. And Tyrese Maxey's still good. I don't think that they'll go very, I think they will make it to the second round. I can't promise if they're going to win or lose. But yeah, no, I do, I do think the Sixers deserve an S tier right now just because I think they can compete with the Celtics Bucks. I do. Um, just picking a random team here. We're going to go the Mavericks in D tier. Um, that's the team that jumps out to me right now. They're the most tailspin team right now. They are struggling mightily with Luka and Kyrie just not being able to work. The rest of the team stinks out loud, frankly. And they have fallen from the play-in in the conference finals a year ago to rubble they're really bad they're gonna miss the play-in probably it's it's one of the more crazier collapses i've seen from a team in quite some time the next new tier team i have the washington wizards uh, a team that's stuck in mediocrity washington wizards are premium d tier talent chris Tops has had a really solid year i'm i'm not sure if he signed on or not for another year but i think they're looking to get that going Bradley Beal's, I don't think, been at the standard that he wants to be at, but he's been good. Kuzma's been way better than I thought he'd be, like outside of being on a team where he just catches and shoots. So I like them a decent amount, but they are prime, you know, play-in team level. Uh, the Orlando Magic are another D-tier team, just because I think that they're – not in this sweepstakes. They're more closer to the D area because I think they found something in Bancaro at the first pick. You know, It's easy to find players when you have the first pick. Magic did that with Bancaro. He's had a great rookie year. And I think some of his other pieces are also starting to figure it out around him. I like the direction they're going in. I'm not sure what the move is to make that next jump, but 
I do like them. Um, Chicago Bulls in D tier. Unfortunately, missing Alonzo Ball, I think, has had an adverse effect on the whole team. You know, he's missed the past two years. He's going to miss next year probably. And I think he brought a level of playmaking and defense to them that really kind of just helped them reach another level. And so have them in D tier just because this year has it clicked. Their defense is bad. The offense is really predicated on shot making from DeRozan and Levine. They just didn't really improve off of what they did last year, and they've kind of just continued this bad stretch of basketball that they've had. Um, other teams that stick out to me that could go to D tier, Pacers. I'll put the Pacers at the front of D tier just because I think they're another team where they f- they have found something in Tyrese Halliburton. He's been phenomenal this year for them. Buddy Heald's been good. Miles Turner's been good. They have the players there. They're another team where it's like, where do we go to take the next step? Similar to the Magic, I don't I don't know where the next step is from missing the play-in to making the play-in and then up from there, but there are young teams where they have the guy, I think. They probably need another guy. I don't know how they get there with the draft or tradings for someone, but I like their direction. Uh, moving back. C tier, the most mediocre team in basketball right now, the Atlanta Hawks. That's right, baby. They are the 500 Hawks. They are, t- <laughs> they are my team, and so I'm. I don't want to destroy them and tear them down and kill them, but I will. The Atlanta Hawks are kind of one of the bigger jokes in the NBA this year. One of the more disappointing teams. Training for Murray hasn't worked out as much as it should have on the defensive end. Trey Young figuring out this offense with Quinn Snyder has been interesting, but it hasn't quite been there yet. They're still having shipped a lot of tendencies that they had. And uh, frankly, I don't think the bigs have helped that much offensively night in, night out. I think it's been a very inconsistent group on that end of the court. Um, next C team, I'm going to go with the Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors are, they're kind of like the Hawks in the mid-2010s where they have a handful of really good rotation guys or really good starters, but I'm not sure if they will ever really be much more than that. And I don't know the swing that they have to take. I mean, obviously they took the swing when they went for Kawhi Leonard in their championship season, but I don't know the player on the market they do that for where that kind of situation works out again. So they're a team I have in C tier just based off the fact that I can't – I. I Definitely can't put them higher. Maybe lower, but I don't think that they're down here because I do think that they can win a play-in game if they need to. Next team I have, I'll put the OKC Thunder in the C tier. Um, the Thunder have been, a, I think, a very underrated, fun story this year. They've been super young. Chet Holmgren, the second pick in the draft, hasn't played this year because of a leg injury. But I think that when he does come back next year, they might really be in the conversation for a higher seed, and not even the play-in, maybe in the playoffs. We'll see. Because Shea Gilgis-Alexander is going to make an All-NBA team. You can book that here, right here, right now. Great player, great talent. I love his game. I really like the Thunder and what they have going on. But the high-end talent is not there, so that's where they go. Next team, <laughs> we'll go with the Miami Heat. Um, 
I put the Miami Heat here at the top of C tier because I do think that they, like, if you had to, you know, game seven on the line, if you had to pick a team, you're probably choosing the Heat over all three of these teams pretty unanimously. But, you know, I don't think that they've shown up really this year at all. Kyle Lowry has regressed horribly, which, I mean, 37, 38-year-old point guard who kind of prides himself on being a physical type of player, isn't shooting well, like, you know, they've never addressed the power forward situation. I, they had a glaring hole in their lineup at that spot, and I don't, I don't think they ever properly addressed it outside of a also very much older Kevin Love. So weird, weird offseason for the Heat, not landing any of these stars. Maybe they're preparing for a Damian Lillard type of deal, but not, not a great season. Um, after I think a lackluster offseason for the Heat lands them in C tier. And then the last team I'm going to put here, it's going to be the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, the Pelicans, I think, have suffered this year from injuries, obviously, once again, taking Zion Williamson off the floor hurts them aggressively. But, you know, it's one of those things they can't control that much. You play with what you got, and when they made the playoffs last year without Zion. They looked a lot more on the rise. I think they kind of plateaued this year, and if not, looked worse. Um, I think they found a couple players, like Trey Murphy's kind of broken out, uh, but I don't think Brandon Ingram's been healthy enough to really like that. CJ McCollum, Valachunas are trying to hold it together, and I think they're on track for a playing spot. But right now, I just think they're kind of a mediocre team. She's gone crazy in the background. Layla gotta stop. Uh, moving on to B tier. Oh man, I have a glaring team here. Let's not move on to B tier. Let's stay in C tier. The Utah Jazz. Let's keep the Utah Jazz here in C tier. Let's be honest with ourselves. The Utah Jazz has not really, you know, died kind of how people thought they would post Quinn Snyder and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Lori Marketing's been an all-star for them. He could get all NBA votes. And Utah Jazz find themselves, I think, in a good spot moving forward. They have a ton of okay pieces. I don't love the trade they made with the Lakers. With the trade deadline moving Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley for scraps. But <clears throat> they got some picks. It's whatever. But either way, moving on to B tier. Um, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves are a perfect B-tier team. I think they have the potential to be an A-tier team, but it hasn't shown. And I think their potential lands them above C-tier, because frankly, I think they've been bad in that department of performing night in, night out, and consistent play. Carl Anthony Towns just came back from an injury that's telling them out practically the whole year. So they're trying to get it going again, but I'm not sure. I think they should make the play-in, but... They're, they're such a wild card team. Next, I have the Clippers. Clippers in B tier. Um, they're another team where their depth looked insane coming into the season, but it has not translated. Um, Russell Westbrook trade, I think, actually has helped, or signing off of the buyout. But Russell Westbrook, I think, has helped the Clippers to a degree. I think he's much better than John Wall was for them. And. You know, they're just staying healthy will be the big challenge here going into the playoffs. Uh, next team, I got the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, 
when they kind of died in the middle of the season, they really could have called it quits, kind of shut down shop for the season and just went into mediocrity, the piece, like the D tier area. But instead, they've kind of been performing at a higher level than I anticipated. Uh, Mikel Bridges has been phenomenal for them. Um, really kind of picked up the role as the star of that team. It's very interesting to see him in that type of role, given what he was, you know, just a 3D guy in Phoenix, and now he's, I think, really picked it up as the player on the Nets. So I have him there. Next, I'm going to put the Kings here in B tier. I think they're the best B tier team. They could be in A tier, but, you know, their offense is phenomenal. Their defense is atrocious, you know. Defense is where you're going to win in the playoffs, and they don't have that right now. So it's hard for me to put them higher just because their defense is so bad. Um, We'll move to A tier real quick. I might have to go back to B tier. Phoenix Suns, I think the Phoenix Suns are a clear A tier team just because they don't have a bench that I love, and, you know, that's kind of might be an issue in the playoffs. But their starting five, I think, is one of the better ones in the league. With Chris Paul, uh, Booker, Okoki, I believe, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton. You know, they've kind of had to learn recently how to mesh together because Durant's been out with injury. And it's been tough. It's been tough on the Suns. But, you know, hopefully that'll be for the better here towards the end when they figure it out. And, yeah, no, I do like what the Suns are cooking. Chris Paul scares the ever-living crap out of me just because he hasn't performed in the playoffs very well. And it's hard to say that he'll be better this year given the fact that he's 38 years old. Uh, another A-tier team, I think the Grizzlies are there just because I have an A-tier, not S-tier, because I think they're inconsistent. They just haven't shown night in, night out that they can put away teams you know, it's just there's a missing element of like that killer instinct that I'm not sure that they have yet. And I mean, they are still really young, but that's just where I have them. Another A tier team. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers here. Cavaliers feel like a good pick here for A tier. Their defense is top notch with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in the back end. Their offense is really good with um, Garland and Mitchell in the backcourt. Just a really well-built team that I think has potential to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I'm not sure that they'll get there. I think they could run into a tough matchup. Um, hmm. We'll go back to B tier. I have the Warriors. Um, the Warriors are one of the worst teams, I think, in history on the road. It's really quite fascinating when you take a look at their numbers on the road. They still have Steph Curry, they still have Clay Thompson, still have Jordan Poole, they still have Draymond. Andrew Wiggins is finally coming back after an absence. You know, I I like what they have cooking. It's a very interesting team to me. I I was wrestling with it because of how they've been performing lately, but I think the Denver Nuggets still deserve um, a mention in the S tier. They've been the best team in the Western Conference consistently. Um, you know, Yo. Obviously, like I say that they haven't been good lately, but they were able to, in the most of the year, build that lead to maintain the one seed. And so, have them there in S tier. Then, I'm going to put the Knicks into A tier. As much as that pains me to say, because I don't like New York, 
I think the Knicks are a dangerous team. I think Julius Randle's been playing really good this year. I think they finally figured out Emmanuel quickly is the guy. And, you know, Jalen Brunson signing, I think, has been the most impactful signing on a team this year. It comes to turning them into losing, like, from losing games that you normally would lose to winning games. Jalen Brunson, I think, has been the X factor. I think he deserves all NBA consideration. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. He's been excellent. And so I do have them in A tier. I'm not sure that they'll go far, but I like them. Then last but not least, the Lakers. I have the Lakers going into B tier. Yeah, they've been on fire lately. Yeah, they probably do have championship potential, but the product as I see it right now is a team that is kind of just they play down to people and when they do that they play some of the worst basketball ever I think they're very reliant on their shot making you know uh, if Anthony Davis goes down again that will be detrimental to them it's it's a team that's very weirdly built where I'm not I don't trust them but I do think they think that they have championship potential that's just how it is so this is the tier. This is how I have the NBA looking right now. This one is not in order like the baseball one was. I mean, it could be, I guess. But this is just how I have it viewed in my eyes. I think there are some very interesting teams here at the top that have championship potential. I think clear number four, like four teams here at the very, very top. And then there's, a, there's really a drop-off. Once you get past, I would say... Once, once you get past the Grizzlies or the Cavaliers, it's really just a wild card of, like, can any of these teams get past the first round, much less win the championship? It's one of the weirder dynamics I've seen from the NBA in a while. I guess, I guess if you want to call it parody, this is parody. So, well, that'll do it for Coach's Corner. I am your host, Lucas Kochevar, as always. Make sure to like. Subscribe, rate the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube, all that fun stuff. It's been a pleasure this year, or this week, I should say. You know, coming back, it's been very tough. I'm trying to figure out stuff, technology bearing, but I made it. I think we had some good shows this week. I look forward to next week. With that being said, I will see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>